the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Susan Packard, believes that emotions can sink us or they can power us like fuel to succeed. Susan has developed a program that can help us grow emotional fitness so that we can thrive in all areas of life. According to Susan, success is an inside job. Susan is the co-founder of HGTV and its former chief operating officer. She worked on the startup teams for HBO and CNBC. She's a speaker, a guest expert on television and radio, and an op-ed contributor. Susan is the author of Fully Human, Three Steps to Grow Your Emotional Fitness in Work, Leadership, and Life. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. So, Susan, you teach us that we should grow our emotional fitness in order to thrive in all areas of life. When did you learn that emotions play a vital role in the workplace? Well, it all came together for me when um, I was asked to join HGTV. I was its second employee and um, its chief operating officer. I was 39. And, you know, uh, it, it was one of those situations where I had sort of powered through roadblocks all my life mm-hmm. and had gotten to a place um, of leadership. But it was all external and all surface, and it was time for me to kind of press the pause button and to say, okay, if I am really going to, this, this idea has so much promise, and if I'm going to be an effective leader in this company, I need to know what I stand for and, you know, what core principles drive me. And so it was about that time at 39 that I really started asking the harder questions that um, effective leaders need to ask of themselves so that they can connect with their, you know, their organization. Was that experience, was that time in your life the inspiration for the book, Fully Human? I would say that that experience, I mean, I, I didn't have any idea I'd ever be writing books, but, um, but yeah, because the first book I wrote, New Rules of the <clears throat> Excuse Me, New Rules of the Game, is really more about the actions and strategies and behaviors to navigate a workplace successfully. But at 39, I you know I, I realized I had those things and they'd help me, but I needed to go a little deeper, and that's what fully. And so yeah, absolutely, that's what the inspiration for the book is all about. So, Susan, you were one of the leaders of the newly created cable industry. And as a woman who was in a male-dominated industry, what did you learn from those early days of your career? Well, for me, it was always about the learning. And, um, you know, you can have a good college degree and, you know, and all of that. But then you go into the workplace and can you learn the job and I wanted to learn this job, this, this tech, it, it, it was cable back then, cable TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to understand it and learn it. So the only people around to teach me were men. And I didn't really see 
it is a gender issue. Um, in my first book, I talk about climbing poles, you know, with some of my clients and just trying to see the business through their eyes, which is an EQ um, practice, you know, is the understanding what's important to your client is, I think, foundational to being effective as the, whether you're a marketer or a salesperson or a manager. Um, and so that was what that was about. And it, it just so happened. And it was unfortunate because I would have loved to have had female role models, but they weren't around at the time. And so, you know, you do what you can and you learn what you need to learn regardless. So you just mentioned that it was an EQ practice. Let's talk about that for a moment. What is emotional fitness? Emotional fitness is the modernized version, the fortified version of the idea called emotional intelligence or EQ for short that was brought to workplaces in the 90s. It's a skill set and it's basically self-awareness and it's also reading others and responding effectively to to them and their emotions. So it's two things and you know, it was um, technology was just starting to take off in the 90s when this idea came into being. So here we are in the work world of 2019, and technology dominates it. So you know that I felt it was critical that that got that got um, addressed in this book, as well as outside the workplace. There's so much emotional chaos and anxiety that we're feeling. You know, there was a lot in my book. I have a lot of research on 40 million people are experience some sort of social anxiety and 21 million people in substance abuse and more suicides than homicides. All of this going on today and the numbers have never been more dire, truthfully. So it's really hard to practice good EQ um, it's a harder time today, and we bring a lot of this unsettled, these unsettled feelings into the workplace with us. So this idea that the book is about the three steps is what do you do about that, and how can you um, live your, your best and most productive emotional life, whether it's work or outside of the workplace. And that's what these, th- these three steps help with. So the the three components that you write about, willingness, trust, and we principles. Looking at the first, willingness, taking action, be willing to try, what do you believe holds so many of us back from taking action? Well, if if I had to say just one thing, I would say we're unsettled because of some experiences we've had in the past. In the past could be 24 hours, it could be this morning. Um that we don't really want to have to address. Mm -hmm. So as a result, we just keep pushing forward and we shut it out and we stuff it down and then we eventually run out of room. What happens after that is a lot of different things, none of which are good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I would say that's the main reason we don't want to do it because I mean, it's kind of scary to look under the hood and, and to really get a sense of what your deep inner principles are about, you know, who you are, you know, settle into yourself to know what's important to me and, you know, get to this place where our noble emotions lie is a process. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, but I think people, I know that was true for me until I turned 39. You know, I just kept, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and from a work performance standpoint, no one knew that, you know, I needed other parts to complete me except me. And it finally got to that place at, you know, 39 where I said, okay, Susan, it's time to start taking some inventory here. And for you, it was age 39. For me, it was age 43. I had a complete upheaval in my life at that age at 43 years old and the result of that is doing the work that I'm doing now I Hmm. had been raising my children and being the perfect wife and lost sense Hmm. of who I was and so I reevaluated at age 43 I asked the difficult questions went through a lot of change a lot of transformation but this is all the result of that self-examination 
Hmm, isn't that wonderful? I mean, I know it sounds like it was really painful, and it is, and this is why people don't want to do it. But when you get to the other side, it's so wonderful. It is. It is. And it, it's a lot of what I've learned, uh, what I believe is it's a lot of fear that holds us back, that keeps us yes. from taking a chance because we'd rather just stay safe and comfortable and doing what you said, putting one foot in front of the other instead of going into the unknown. But the unknown is beautiful. It could be. Yeah. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Of all the emotions in the workplace and whether I was inside a work, you know, a company and, and working with people or now as I, you know, mentor others, um, it's fear. That is the most f- fundamental, unproductive, self-limiting emotion that we have. And, you know, we have to, it's, if we want to have peace of mind, we have to deal with it. Well, Susan, you've taken on so many challenging projects. And, and by anyone's standards, you're, you're an accomplished woman. How did you move through your fears? How were you able to push those aside and take on all of these challenges? Well, um, I, have, I've, I have two practices um, that I've taken on. Um, one is a meditative, um, contemplative practice. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned a certain form of meditation, which is, is more than just, you know, sitting in quiet. I mean, it's sort of a way of how you see the world and how you relate to one another and um, how you cherish people and hopefully they cherish you. I mean, it all comes out of this practice. And um, in the book, at the very end of the book, last chapter, I, I really struggled with this, but I ultimately wrote it, and it was about my, I'm in recovery. And so that's a whole nother practice of um, a way to live. I mean, I feel so fortunate because I have both of these that I can rely on that sort of are all summed up in these three steps. And, um, you know, no one has to go through what I went through um, Mm -hmm. or maybe what you went through. Um, And they, you know, you can read this book. And if you do these things, you really can get to a place of um, of joy and fulfillment. And what I like about what you just said, for so long, a meditative practice, people who meditated, they were viewed as hippies from, you know, Southern Mm -hmm. California. But people like you, like me, I, I'm a true type A personality, to be able mm-hmm. to bring a spiritual practice into the business world and to show the scientific benefits of that, mm-hmm. I think that that's such a great point that you're making. Yeah. And the good news is there is a whole lot of science behind it. So those left brainers out there who <laughs> want to defy <laughs> you when you, you argue about it, you can show them all the neuroscience and it's, it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. So your second component of the EQ Fitness is trust. And for someone who's been through a very challenging time, someone who's experienced a lot of loss, a lot of pain, how can that person find the trust that's necessary to build healthy relationships? Well, I guess it starts with, did the person that you might want to build trust with be the person who gave you the pain? Um then it's, you know, it's, it's really a, a choice of how vulnerable do you become? Because the thing about trust is it can feel like a high wire act between vulnerability and self-protection. And, you know, again, how, how open do you want to become? But that's also true with those that might be strangers to you that you work with and, you know, you come into the workplace and it's, it feels so gratifying to have relationships of trust in the workplace. But at the same time, you know, I say we have a willing heart, but we also have a shrewd eye. Not everyone is deserving of our trust, you know, and, and that's a part of your evaluation of, okay, you know, because it's a reciprocal relationship. It takes two to tangle with trust. So um, so that's part of it, too. But, you know, it's probably not much different than, than willingness from the standpoint of the fear. Mm-hmm. If you can get over um, 
just sort of push through. You know, you can call yourself a scaredy cat. I call myself a scaredy cat all the time. But somehow I find some way, whether it's a girlfriend who gives me support or my husband or whatever, um, to, you know, to push through these moments of fear. Writing this book, I mean, I, I really, it was a big pause for me to think about, do I really write this book? But I'm hopeful, you know, that maybe it can provide some, some guidance and for, for others, you know. And it's, it's a wonderful foundation for the we principles, because what I've learned in business today, and, and I'm a firm believer that we're moving more to um, a state of collaboration than competition. I think we get more accomplished when we work together as a we, where there are win-win scenarios set up that everybody benefits. So when there's so much pride and ego and so much of that, um, you know, eat or be eaten mentality, mm-hmm. how do we make this shift to the we, to the collaboration, to win-win? Well, um, having... You know, a, a lot of it is, um, it depends on where you are in your organization, but everybody can can contribute here. Um, it's just, it looks a little bit differently depending upon if you're, for example, in the C-suite versus if you're um, in middle management or, you know, a worker. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, but in all cases, this process, the we principles are when we move ourselves aside for a greater good. And that greater good can be your team, it can be your family, it can be your community, it can be any number of things. Um, this is a discipline because we're not by nature. I mean, by nature, we, we start with ego, you know, we, 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 and we need to survive. And so ego is good to help us survive. But what it doesn't do, at least what it didn't do for me, is it didn't help me to thrive. It didn't help me to emotionally be fulfilled. Um, I needed something different and something more. And so we principles are the, our EQ fit leaders and, and workers. You know, they know when to trade those moments of me mm-hmm. for the, the moments of grace that you get with we. And it's not all the time. Again, we need ego too, but it's that balance that is missing today in, um, in how people work. I mean, if something material happens, let's say I manage a team of people, and something really dramatic happens that impacts them, I don't care what it takes. I am going to assert my ego and my power to not let that happen again. But if it's something that um, I may, I was most likely just in the eye of the storm, you know, sort of in the middle of the hurricane there, and I really wasn't even, I got impacted by it, but it really wasn't directed at me, then I let that go. It's just not worth worrying about and, you know, putting it into your brain and tossing it around. And knowing how to do that. It is a ju- it's a judgment, but it comes with practice and a few birthdays and practicing these steps as well. The book is Fully Human, Three Steps to Grow Your Emotional Fitness in Work, Leadership, and Life. If you'd like to get more information about Susan and her work, you can visit SusanPacker.com. Susan, in about 30 seconds or less, you're a successful leader. You've been surrounded by successful leaders, and you've studied successful leaders. What do you believe is the most important trait that a successful leader must have? I think it's compassion. I think that um, the most successful leaders I've known and read about and over the, over the centuries I've lo- you know, looked at, they have compassion. And that's a connector. And it allows you to lead others. And, and also it allows you, you know, self-compassion. It allows you to be in a good place in terms of how you carry yourself and how you do connect with others. Susan, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing ways that we can grow our emotional fitness so that we can thrive in all areas of life. I agree with you. Success is an inside job, and you provide wonderful tools that can help us bring our full selves to all we do. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Joan. 
This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Eileen Lashinsky, the founder and creator of Find Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answer to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Joan, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Eileen, many people, women in particular, judge their self-worth by their appearance. We have this notion of what a perfect body should look like, and we have a number in our mind regarding what our weight should be. But when we don't hit that target, we immediately believe that we're fat. And just because someone isn't thin, does that mean that they're fat? And what does fat even mean? Help us with this. I'm chuckling because those are two wonderful questions. And if only I had the answer to them. But I have an insight that um, I want to share with you and uh, our listeners. Um, Firstly, I think part of the problem, I'm going to take this back a step. Part of the problem is the dualistic culture in which we live, the either or kind of culture. For example, something is either good or bad. Something is either right or wrong, black or white. And so therefore, as an extension of that sin or fat. And interestingly, in order to prepare for this interview, I tried to find an adjective that described those of us women who are somewhere in between sin and fat. And I found words uh, like uh, chubby, curvy, paunchy, all of them with a bit of a flavor of fat. And uh, yet, so many of us walk around in this middle category that doesn't even have a name to it. Um, And uh, these descriptors anyway, thin or fat, um, are so subjective anyway. Um, But the marketing messages that we see all the time in this culture say, if I don't look like the models in the advertisements, then I must be fat. And that's the criteria we're using. And when we're in the middle, and you know, it's that either or mentality, we all go to the fat side. Very few of us in the middle say, Oh, I'm thin. That That's not where we go. Well, exactly. And so I know, but you know, I, I want if I could just interject something here. I want the, the, the listeners to look at um, weight and size on a bell curve. And if you can picture a bell curve where the majority of the mass, so to speak, is in the middle, mm-hmm. with very few people designed to be naturally thin and very few people designed to be naturally large, 
Um, and, you know, this is independent of the obesity crisis I know we have, um, but part of that is about how we define the descriptors. Anyway, what is this? Most of us fall into this place in the middle. So when we do this, Eileen, when we have this way of thinking that you just described, how does that impact the way we see ourselves? Well, that, that, uh, another wonderful question, because if there are only two choices, thin or fat, then most of us are going to strive to be thin. And many of us, you know, you and I know this firsthand, have been doing this for much of our lives. Um, however, there are also many of us who have just given up. Mm-hmm. Um, we've bought into the marketing hype Uh, that we have to look like what we see in the media. We have to look like or be a thin woman. When genetics and set point theory uh, tell many of us that we aren't designed to look like that, we certainly can be healthy even though we don't look like the media messages. But it doesn't mean that we're going to look like those women. So it does have an impact on us, and it depends on us and what we're going to buy into. And, you know, that, that's why I do the work that I do, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, to help people, to help women in particular, see things in a different way. So is there some tip or, or something that you can offer to us to help us do that? Well, okay, that's another uh, wonderful, wonderful question. Um, I um, would like uh, to uh, turn our minds. So instead of looking at the um, paradigm, so to speak, of uh, I have to lose weight, I'm fat, I'm not thin, therefore I have to lose weight, I'd like us to step onto the pathway of I am working every day on getting healthy. If I'm not healthy now, if I am healthy now, I'm working every day on staying healthy. And that uh, is a completely different path with completely different steps. I'm really looking at my eating. Am I eating foods that are healthy for me, that are fueling my body? Am I eating enough so that my body and brain can do the stuff of uh our daily living? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I moving my body? Because bodies are designed, bodies were made to move. And am I getting good socialization? And I'm chuckling to myself as I'm saying that to you, because of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic where most of our socialization is coming through the phone, or, you know, on Zoom calls. Uh, But anyway, the point is, that's another important way to achieve good health, physical and mental. So I want us to turn our minds, Joan, away from weight loss and into, I need to work on either staying healthy or getting healthy. And Eileen, is there any final thought that you can add to that as a takeaway to our listeners? Um, yeah, uh, yes. Um, I, I would like to offer this. Um, if we saw our, if we as individual women saw our weight and size as simply descriptors, like height or eye color, um, and um, if we, also I would add to that, if we look at a thin person and automatically think healthy, we're missing the boat because some of these women, maybe even many of them, are not eating well, and some of them actually have disordered uh, eating. But conversely, if we're looking at people we would think of as fat, as unhealthy, we're also missing missing the boat, because many of these women, if you look at their labs, are healthy. According to their labs, they're just not falling into the charts, so to speak, that supposedly determine whether we're uh, healthy or not, overweight or not. So that's what I would offer. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. For most of my life, when it comes to weight, I have fallen into that either or mentality. So 
This is really a, a wonderful perspective that you're bringing to so many of us. So thank you for being here. If you would like to get more information about Eileen and her work, you can visit findbodyfreedom.com. Or as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Eileen. We'll be right back. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now, you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, search for Conversations with Joan, and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Violence was a way of life for the girls at Mott Middle School in the South Bronx. Some woke up to it at home, and others dodged it on the way to school. Vicious physical fights broke out in classrooms, hallways, and bathrooms. These girls filed their fingernails into sharp points because they had to be ready to fight at any time. Then, a new coach joined the ranks at Mott Middle, and a new program began girls softball. Joining us today to talk about what happened in the concrete jungle is Dibs Bear. Dibs is the author of the book, Lady Tigers in the Concrete Jungle. Welcome, Dibs. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So, Dibs, what got you interested in this story? Well, I played competitive softball my whole childhood. And a girl that I played with, she's a coach now for a high school team, and she introduced me to Coach Estacio. And we immediately sort of connected and... um I think he told me about uh, his team, but when he told me about the first year of the team in particular, I was kind of blown away by everything that happened in this very first year to the girls on the team um, and how they made it through the year. Uh, and it just was, you know, just incredibly inspiring. And so I just wanted to know more about it. And the more I knew, the more I really couldn't believe how extraordinary that team was that first year. In the introduction, I mentioned a little bit about what these girls experienced on a daily basis. Can you tell us more about what life was like for these girls before the coach came on the scene? Yeah, sure. I mean, so the school that they went to, this, and again, this is junior high, um, gang-infested neighborhood that you can't even like play outside. You can't really be on the playground at the school um, for that reason. And then, so not only not only was school outside of the school dangerous inside of the school was dangerous because the girls were fighting with each other. But then at home, each girl on the team had, you know, a really intense issue going on, whether it was physical abuse, uh, molestation, um, you know, poverty, alcoholism. Um, A couple of the girls, like one girl, her mother was still living in, I think it was the Dominican Republic. And, you know, didn't wasn't didn't have a parent with her in the Bronx. Uh, so it was it was just you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They were experiencing such incredible stress um, in so many different ways. And they just really had no safe place at home, in school, around the school. They just had, they really had nowhere to go. From what you just described to us, it, you know, it, it may seem like a program like this wouldn't succeed. So what was it like at first for the coach? How did he get the girls motivated and interested in the program? Well, I think originally they just showed up literally because they had nowhere else to go. They wanted to hang out in the gym. They didn't want to go home. They didn't want to go outside. So at first they didn't really care about softball. They just wanted to sit in the gym. Um, and at first he also had trouble connecting with them. I mean, they, he was their PE teacher and a lot of them didn't like him. They didn't like really anybody in authority, but slowly, and it's, well, I would, you know, it took, I would say from the fall until Christmas for him to really make inroads with them and earn their trust. And, um, and it wasn't easy. And because he was dealing with, he was putting out fires constantly because the girls were pretty wild in school, not all of them, of course, uh, but a lot of them were, you know, some of the most notoriously, troubled girls in the school. Uh, So he was not only dealing with 
you know, he he was dealing with uh, their problems in school. And, and at, the, at the beginning, he didn't really know what was happening in their home lives. He was really just focused on getting them to go to class. It really had not much to do with softball the first, like, you know, six months of the program. Right. It was really about, yeah. So, and he just sort of, I think the more they understood that he was one of them, he grew up, you know, similar, similarly to the, the way they did in the Bronx. And he showed that, the, he, that he cared about them. And I don't think uh, a lot of the girls didn't really have a male figure in their life that cared mm-hmm. about them. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them, except for, I think, maybe a few, uh, didn't have fathers in their lives, whether that meant uh, they were not in the home, not living in the home, or just literally not in the girls' lives at all. And so that presence, his presence, they came to kind of uh, appreciate him as like a father figure eventually, but it, it took a lot of work for him. These girls were used to thinking about themselves. I mean, they were in survival mode. It was them against the world. And now yeah. they had to be a team. They had to start to think about someone else and to work as a unit, as for the, the good of the whole. So the coach needed to win their trust, as you were saying, and he taught them so many lessons throughout this process. What happened to the girls throughout this journey? How did they change? Oh, they changed so dramatically. That that was what was so incredible. It was, uh, you know, they were, they were literally not going to class. They were hanging out in the basement of the school, uh, you know, with just like not going to class. They were fighting and by the end of the season, like in the book, we have their progress reports from the beginning to the end and what their teachers say about them at the beginning and at the end. And the change is dramatic that they started doing their work. They started showing up to class. They um, stopped fighting. Um, you know, they because eventually uh, Coach Astacio had given them very strict parameters on what they needed to do to stay on the team. At first, they... He didn't do that. He didn't want to be too strict because he felt like if he was too strict, they just wouldn't show up. And then he realized he'd made a mistake and that they needed uh, a lot of uh, rules. And once they had the rules and they realized that they wanted to stay on the team, they followed them. And and it was, you know, incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful that some of the girls, you know, who were good students but weren't trying, you know, they were starting to live up their, to their potential. Um, in school and the girls also started bonding together more that was one of the big issues in the beginning was that the uh, a lot of the girls on the team didn't like each other there were two there were two big factions on the team almost like two rival gangs in a way Mm -hmm. and by the end of the season you see that they finally kind of come together and um, so there was just so many changes that's I just that's why I was so blown away by it that within a year, really, that there could be this amount of change with people, who, with girls who are really troubled. And um, yeah. yeah, so. Dibs, what do you think is the takeaway from this story? I, th- I mean, I think there are a few takeaways. I think that, um, I think one of the big ones uh, is that your your past doesn't necessarily have to ruin your future. Um, a lot of these girls, I think also this team happened at a, really pivotal time in their lives, you know, junior high. And I think that's a time where you can go one direction or the other. And so I think it was fate that the team happened at this particular time and showed them that like there could, there is hope, you know, even though they have really awful things going on in their lives, a lot of them um, that you can get through it. There's so much resilience too, the the strength and resilience of uh, these girls who were so young and going through such, intense issues and they made it through a lot of them weren't even even supposed to graduate junior high and they did so i think it's about i mean i would say like not quitting resilience um having hope those are kind of the, the major themes i would say in the book the book is lady tigers in the concrete jungle by dibs bear dibs where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work uh, I have uh, an account on Instagram at Lady Tigers Book, and also on Facebook, same name at Lady Tigers Book. And I hope everyone checks it out. Dips, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing this inspiring story. As you said, there's always hope, and you know, no matter what the challenge, we can overcome anything. So, thanks for giving us this reminder. Thank you so much. 
This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. There can be so many factors to deal with if you have a chronic disease such as diabetes and heart disease, to name a few. Oftentimes, you can find yourself overloaded with information from your physician, from internet searches, and from family and friends. This can be overwhelming and can stop you in your tracks. Which way should you turn and whom do you listen to? Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. Primarily, it is essential to first listen to your physician, who is the expert on the chronic disease and is focused on helping manage the illness with needed treatments and medications. It has been said that 80% of what you hear in your physician's office, you forget. Managing a chronic disease can be complicated. Do you know what questions you should ask your physician? Does your physician ask if you understand everything and whether you are able and willing to do the needed treatments? People with chronic diseases may be depressed or in a state of denial about the disease, which can adversely affect the treatment and outcomes. Health and wellness coaches who are trained in behavior change can be a tremendous asset to a chronic disease patient. A coach can effectively determine at what stage of change you are currently in. They partner with you to facilitate the small steps you choose to take and feel you can manage. This can result in improved health outcomes and overall well-being. If you need a health and wellness coach to partner with, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. Recent changes in our world have created far-reaching implications for anyone in the sales field. If you want to succeed in this turbulent marketplace, you will have to be more knowledgeable, more responsive, and easier to do business with than ever before. You will have to do things you already know how to do, and you'll have to do them better. You will also have to do some things differently. You may even have to learn new skills and techniques. It is critical that you reacquaint yourself with some techniques that are powerful and very effective. In any complex system, for example, a piece of equipment, a computer, or an organization, all of the parts must be in sync if there is to be maximum productivity. This is the significance of balance. Each of the parts must work at peak efficiency or the system will malfunction and break down. Our wonderful human system is no different. You can learn many skills and techniques, but if they are not in sync with who you are and what you believe about yourself and others, then the result is conflict and internal disorder. Reach success on a grand scale when your values, your self-image, your needs, your goals, and your achievements are in harmony. By uniting sales skills with personal development and a goal achievement process, you will uncover a system of self-motivation that will lead you to a richer and fuller life. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to reach out to me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website at staronprofessional.com. Do you practice pranayama? Did you know there are many different breathing techniques, each used for a different purpose? Hi, I'm Carrie Curapito from KNP Holistic Health and Fitness. I'm a holistic health and lifestyle coach, yoga teacher, and Reiki master. Yogis have been practicing pranayama, or breathing exercises, for thousands of years. Pranayama is a Sanskrit compound word meaning control of breath. Prana means breath, the vital energy in the body responsible for life force. Ayama means control, control of breath. The way you breathe affects your whole body. Breathing exercises are a good way to relax, reduce tension, and relieve stress. Breathing exercises are easy to learn. You can do them whenever you want, wherever you want, and you don't need any special tools or equipment to do them. If you've ever taken a yoga class, you've probably used a Ujjayi breath before, or at least heard the word. Did you know there are many other breathing exercises you could practice? Did you know you can cool the body on a hot summer day by using a Shatali breath? Or you can warm and energize the body using belly breath of fire. Perhaps what you need is some balancing with alternate nostril breathing. Or maybe what you need is the relaxing and soothing that humming bee breath can bring. Want to learn more about pranayama? Visit my website at knpholistic.com to book your session today. Online sessions are available. Namaste. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google. Search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. 
You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. to your health. Joining me today to talk about how hypnosis can be an effective way to quit smoking is Mary Beth Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis and sound practitioner and the founder of Metro Hypnosis Center. Mary offers online hypnosis to people around the world. She's the author of the book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. So Mary, smoking causes damage to the body, which can lead to long-term health problems. But it's a hard habit to break because tobacco contains the addictive chemical nicotine. As with heroin or other addictive drugs, the body and mind quickly get used to the nicotine in cigarettes. Why do you believe this is an especially important time for people to quit smoking? That's a great question, Joan. And this is an important time to quit smoking because we have COVID-19. And COVID-19 can nearly double the rate of the uh, COVID-19 progressing in people who smoke. So that's really why it's always an important time for your health with smoking because it creates uh, cancers, heart disease, strokes, diabetes. But now having the facts from the UC of San Francisco that shows any smoker that they did the research of about 12,000 people, the uh, progression of disease and the progression to go into a critical mode of the disease for smokers was nearly double. And that's really important information, Mary, because we're all looking for ways to avoid COVID. And this is something that's within our control. So let's talk a little bit about when someone wants to quit, that person makes the decision. What are some of the challenges that a person will experience when quitting? Right. And one of the things you mentioned is that it's an addiction. That's that's why smoking sometimes is challenging. It's a habit and an addiction with the nicotine. So sometimes when people quit, they and everyone's different because the nicotine seems to affect different people. Some people I work with have really not a lot of side effects, just like a craving, but other people go through like a detox in their body, um, the sweats and all of that. So everyone does that differently. But so they just have to realize that um, they need that commitment and but to be aware that there will be some cravings or strong urges for it. And that's where hypnosis comes in to help you deal with that, to give you the tools to fight it and become the non-smoker. So how does that happen, Mary? How does hypnosis help? So um, typically when I work with someone, we first create a script about becoming a non-smoker because it's very individual for everyone. So yes, we can have a generic for people to use, but if you really want to get to your trigger points, um, I actually under- get to understand your habits. Um, what's When are you smoking the most in different locations? And then we create the script on that. So we create like a scenario, you becoming a non-smoker, we add positive affirmations um, and it gives the motivation to quit smoking. So at the end of that session, I read that to you in hypnosis. So we plant the seeds of you becoming a non-smoker. And then you listen to that recording um, of the script that I create for you. So every day you're getting that reinforcement and and the support, because that's what it is. People need support when they're quitting smoking. And then each session builds upon the next. We try to understand what the cigarette is giving you. What's, what's your reasons that are the real triggers? So stress is one of the biggest triggers. And that's one of the things that it can help with. So I teach people uh, self-hypnosis to help you stay strong if you feel that need to smoke and that you can push that craving away. How effective is hypnosis in getting this done? Hypnosis is very effective. I can't say it's 100% because it's going to depend on your motivation, your commitment. But I'd say for the most part, what I see in my practice is at least 90% effective. But I always check in with people. I kind of assess people where they are on their journey of quitting smoking and look for a certain level of motivation. So I look for like a six or more motivation to quit smoking um, so that they are doing it at the right time to succeed. So it basically helps get to the root cause of why someone smokes. Right. And that's my, my uh, program with hypnotherapy. It's we're really trying to understand what that connection is to the cigarette. What's the cigarette doing? And 
you know, if you're a non-smoker, you may not understand that that cigarette is, is like an old friend. So it's actually sometimes some sadness comes in the sessions because you're losing an old friend that's been there for all the good times and all the bad times. It's always been there. So there's an emotional component as well, which I find in a lot of sessions because, you know, not even a person has been there for people like a cigarette has been there. So it's releasing that and releasing that connection and filling yourself up with more of the positive and, and your own support and that you can handle anything on your own. Mary, can you offer a few tips to help someone quit? Sure. Um, my first thing I tell people when they're going to take a cigarette, pause. Try to check in with yourself to see why you're wanting that cigarette. Is, are you stressed? Are you bored? Um, and if you can push away that and distract yourself, that's what I would tell people, to distract yourself and see if that goes away. And a lot of times if you distract yourself, you'll move on. Also, smoke with your other hand. Make it uncomfortable. Put the cigarettes in a place that's not so easily accessible. So you have to become a chore to get the cigarettes. Like let's say you're driving Normally, that would be your smoking place. Put them in the trunk so that they're not easily accessible. So those are some good tips to start weaning yourself and quitting smoking. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more information about Mary and her work, you can visit her website, MetroHypnosisCenter.com. Once again, Mary, thank you. Thank you, Joan. Social distancing slows the spread of coronavirus, so stay a minimum of six feet away from others and stay home if you can. More info at coronavirus.gov. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.